Let's bow again together. Father, we do praise you and thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. And we thank you that we have a privilege to be in your word, the privilege. And Lord, I pray that our hearts will be ready to receive your word, that we would be uh, built up and we would be encouraged and that uh, we would uh, trust you and grow in our faith and that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of your son, Jesus. So Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as each and every one of us know, life can be very difficult at times. Uh, whether it's uh, a sickness, whether it's a trial, uh, relational, work, uh, whatever it might be. Things come upon us and life becomes difficult. And uh, yet we who know the Lord, we have a refuge. We have a, a God who is on our side, a God who will help us. He is our refuge and strength a very present help in time of trouble. But yet sometimes we we know those truths, but some of the burdens that come upon us can be so heavy, we can be tempted to be discouraged. We can be tempted to, to be discouraged uh, concerning our walk, whether it's through failing, whatever it might be, tempted, discouraged about uh, just uh, the difficulties of following and trusting Jesus. So with that in mind, uh, maybe... Uh, some of you have got to the point where things have become difficult and you are in need of endurance. Endurance. Well, today we're going to see that we're all in need of endurance and that if we trust the Lord, we will endure. So let's turn our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11 and we're just finishing up our, our passages before we start our new series. And so uh, Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6 where we're going to see how we can truly endure the trials of life. And we all know what faith is. I mean, we've come to faith in Jesus Christ, if you're a believer. We understand that, but yet our faith can fade or, or can waver, and uh, we can pull our eyes so subtly off the Lord as we encounter these difficulties. And so today, I believe, as we look back at the core of what genuine faith is, it'll be an encouragement for us because... We are saved by faith, and we are to walk by faith. Again, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Now, in the book of Hebrews, we know that the author, inspired by the Spirit, has written this sometime after 33 A.D., after the Lord has ascended, and sometime before 70 A.D., when the temple was destroyed. And this letter is written exclusively to Hebrew believers who were suffering for their faith. And some of them had become immature and untaught and dull of hearing. And their eyes had turned away from Jesus and focused on their difficulties. And they were in need of encouragement. They were faltering in their faith. They were tired and growing weary. They were on the verge of compromise, but they weren't going to compromise because the Lord would reveal that they would endure. But there were those also within this group of Hebrews who were not saved, who claimed the name of Jesus, who were on the verge of turning away from the only one who could save them. And so we see warnings threaded throughout this book. But within this book, we also see within those warnings encouragement to true believers to, 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 to hang on, to hold on, to trust the Lord because they're going to endure. And indeed, chapter 10 uh, verse uh, 36 reveals, and we'll look at it in a minute, that they were in need of conferred, encouragement. 
uh, they were exhorted to hold fast their confession of faith in Jesus, uh, to not be, to not, and, and that they were not like those who were apostatizing, who would apostatize. And he is encouraging them. Now, in this book, the author has systematically been uh, arguing the superiority of Jesus and his new covenant to the old covenant, which was a type and shadow of what would come. And he has made it clear and proven that Jesus is a superior high priest who mediates a a superior covenant based on his superior once-for-all sacrifice for sins. And we see that from that we have redemption, forgiveness of sins, and access to God. And therefore, we need to listen to him because there is one mediator between God and man, the, the man Jesus Christ, who being fully God, bore our sins in his body on the cross. And so then, with that in mind, what should be our response to this great salvation? Uh, we see a little earlier in Hebrews chapter 10, we should be continually drawing near in faith. We should be hoping continually in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we should be loving him by loving and serving his body. And then we come to chapter 11 in which God testifies, the Lord testifies concerning those who endured by faith. And it's here we gain a greater understanding of how uh, the Lord helps us endure and we see the nature of true and genuine faith. So with that in mind, how can we endure the trials of life? How do we make it through? How do we make it through? Some of you might feel like giving up at times. It's just too hard, whatever it might be. And uh, God wants us not to feel that way. He wants us to understand that we are going to endure, but he wants us to endure practically speaking. And how that happens is in the context, as we will see, of faith. So then with that in mind, how can we endure? First of all, we need to be reminded of and understand what true biblical faith in Christ is. And uh, for that, let's go back a little bit. This is what we're going to see in chapter 11. But let's rewind a little bit and go back to chapter 10 to gain some context. Look at verse 30, chapter 10 of Hebrews. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, in context, he's speaking about those who go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth. They know the truth about forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ, and they reject it as evidenced by their actions of forsaking the body of Christ, forsaking fellowship, not loving the body. And all that is left for them is a terrifying expectation of judgment. Now, in context to that warning, lest believers feel that they have apostatized, true believers feel like they have failed in that sense, uh, we have encouragement for them. Notice he reminds them of their previous faith. Verse 32, chapter 10. But remember the former days. Hey, you're not like those guys who are going to are gonna go to judgment. Remember something. You're in need of encouragement. So remember this. Remember the former days. When after being enlightened, that's when the, the, the truth of God through the spirit of God opened the heart of someone to believe. I see it. I understand it. They were enlightened. They believed in Jesus Christ. After being enlightened, you endured, notice the term endured, a great conflict of sufferings, partially by being made a public spectacle through approaches and tribulations, and partially by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners. Now, this is nothing wrong with prison ministries, but these are prisoners for, for, for following Jesus, by the way. You showed sympathy uh, 
to the prisoners. We need to show sympathy to the prisoners who are believers. We need to show the gospel to, to unshackle those who are in prison, right? Uh, who need it for, for just like we did. So, but here, you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you had for yourself, have for yourself a better possession and abiding one. So they, when they first came to faith, they endured these difficulties. Bad things happened and they endured. He's saying, look back and remember that endurance when you first came to faith. Because time goes by and time goes by. Boy, it's been, you know, years. I got saved in 1991. That's a long time ago. Time has gone by. And just remember back to, to this, to, to, to when you were saved and how you endured when you trusted and believed Jesus, right? And there he says in verse 35, therefore do not throw away your confidence. And that's a temptation when you're suffering. You had a confidence in Christ that you were going to endure to the end, that you were going to make it. He's going to take you there, and you knew that. But practically speaking, that confidence can wane, and we can effectively throw it away with our mindset and our thinking. And he says, don't do that. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great a great reward, for you have need of endurance. And that's speaking to all of us, by the way. We need it. We need endurance. We're not there yet. The race is not done. He's going to talk about the race in chapter 12. It's not done yet. We're on the race, and, and, we, and we're in need of endurance. He says, so that when you have done the will of God, you, you may receive what is promised. For yet in a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. Now, that's the ones who are going to endure, as we're going to see. But the shrinker backers, those are not, those are not us. But we can be tempted to be like that, right? Uh, but it says, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back into destruction. True believers are not going to reject Christ and go back to their old religious ways, the Jews here. They're not going to do it. You're not going to. You're not going to. He says there, but those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. And we're in need of endurance. So we need to be encouraged. We need to be encouraged. So then we come to our passage. And it seems like it's just isolated by itself. All of a sudden, God says, here's a definition of faith. Well, it is a definition of faith, but it is connected to what we just read and what we will see in the end of the book of Hebrews. Now, faith, verse 1 of chapter 11, is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what was seen was made not out of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts and, the, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before, being, before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. And I know you're already excited about it as we read through this. This is a wonderful passage. I'm already encouraged. Hopefully you're already encouraged because God wants us to endure. And we're going to endure, but we endure specifically 
through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we're going to see. But we need to understand and remember what it really is. We know what faith is. We, we're saved by faith. We are, but it can wane. We can get things confused. Stuff gets clogged in our brains. It gets in the way. It gets in the way. So then, uh, and also there are false teachers out there peddling false faith to try and encourage you in the midst of your trials to, to trust in, in, in stuff that will happen for you rather than to trust in Jesus. Uh, they'll encourage you to speak certain ways and believe what you say or whatever it might be. That's not true faith, as we'll see. They'll encourage you to say, hey, uh, you know, if you just believe you'll be well from your sickness, you will be well. Well, that's not true faith. We know and we'll see that faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has said. Now, we know from Scripture God is all-powerful and he can heal anybody. We know that. So we can have faith. Yes, if he desires to, he will. But there's no promise there. And those false teachers come along and give you a false promise. They want you to have the glories now, uh, and, but no sufferings. The reality is there are some sufferings now for the glories to follow. So then, to the definition here that the Lord gives us, he says, first one, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Now, by having this definition, it helps us remember what faith is. Because so often we're hoping in the wrong things, as we'll see. And we got to go, oh, wow, I'm hoping that this, this situation will work out. This will do this in the way we want it to work out, rather than hoping, as we'll see, in the person of Jesus Christ. He says here, now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Now, this phrase, assurance, here, uh, is uh, it, some translations say substance. That's a good translation. That speaks of being sure, a substance. It comes from the Greek word hypostasis. Stasis means to stand. Hupo means under. It speaks to stand under. Something standing under is like a foundation, something that's sure and solid, right? Uh, it says it's uh, the assurance, the substance, the confident assurance, the guarantee. It's translated in chapter 1, verse 3, nature, actually. Um, so chapter 3, verse 14, is translated assurance or confidence. So what does it mean here? It seems to convey that faith consists of being fully assured, fully founded concerning what is hoped for. Faith is the stand under. It is the substance of things hoped for. And so here we think of, okay, that, that, that makes sense to me, but what are we hoping in? What is he talking about? What does it mean? What is hope? Now, I think everyone understands what hope is in general. Hope is an expectation. That's what it is. Expecting something to happen. We have a hope that this will happen. We expect that. Something you hope for. Now, before you think faith simply means confidence in what we hope for, we need to understand what hope is from a biblical perspective. What it is from a biblical perspective. You see, hope does not, biblical hope does not consist of things that we see, but things that are unseen. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. As the Apostle Paul encourages the Romans, answers the question throughout the entire chapter, chapter 8, uh, who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he goes to point that out. First of all, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Then we now live in the context of the Spirit and life. We're on our way to glory. He's working all things together for good. There's nothing that can separate us from the living God. And in the midst of that, he's pointing to the fact that although things are groaning and those things are happening, we're on our way to glory. And notice what he says in verse 23 of chapter 8. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit. Hey, God gave you himself 
to say the job will get done. Isn't that great? Uh, and even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoptions as sons. Well, yes, we know we're going to be adopted. We know we're already in his family. We're children. But there's that, there's that adult son adoption where God shows, hey, these are my children. Like that picture you see even in the movie Ben-Hur. These are my children. We're waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons. That formal reality in a sense here. And he says here, waiting eagerly for that. And he says, the redemption of our bodies. It's tied into our glorification. Remember the answer, who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. You're groaning, but we're on our way. We're groaning, but we're on our way. And so he says here, for in hope we have been saved. Well, that hope there certainly has to do with the redemption of our body, doesn't it? Uh, but hope it, that is seen is not hope. Excuse me, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one hope and hope also, excuse me, for why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Perseverance waiting eagerly, right? So then in the context of Hebrews, we're also going to see that hope is, is, is undeniably linked to the person of Jesus Christ. It is throughout the book of Hebrews linked to Jesus Christ. Hebrews 3.6 uh, we find that the boast of our hope is Jesus Christ, our apostle, our, our apostle and high priest. It's, he's, he, it's not an apostle, but he is our apostle. He is the one. We see that in Hebrews chapter 3. And in chapter 6, verse 11, we see the assurance of our salvation in Christ and hope. They are tied together. The assurance of our salvation and hope tied together. And in chapter 6, verse 18 to 20, we see that hope is fixed. It is anchored upon the completed work of Jesus Christ. And in chapter 719, we see there is the bringing of a better hope, this new covenant inaugurated through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. So our hope is fully founded in Christ and his redemptive work on our behalf that he finished and that assures us of our eternal future, a future in glory with no sin, redeemed bodies with him forever, glorified bodies. And so here we see this hope here. The object of our hope is, is God. It is God. Indeed, we see that throughout Scripture. Our hope is in Jesus. Psalm 43, verses 5 and 11, we are to hope in God. You know, we hope too much in the resolution of the difficulties. We need to hope in God. We need to hope in God. Yes, we can pray about those things and pray that God does so. We are to put everything before him. We're to open our hearts before him. Absolutely, nothing wrong with that. But our hope should be in what? Uh, in, in, in the person of, of the Lord and what he has said. He says we're to hope in God. Acts 24, verse 15, Paul made it clear that he had a hope in God. Hey, that's what I'm on. I'm on I'm hope in God. 1 Timothy 5, 5, we see one of the uh, qualifications for widows to be aided by the church financially when their families cannot do so. They are those who have fixed their hope on God. They fixed their hope on God. Indeed, the holy women of old, uh, they weren't perfect. Look at Sarah. We're not perfect. Look at Abraham, right? You know, they, they hoped in God. We see that 1 Peter 3, 5, the holy women hoped in God. If you're hoping in your spouse to get better, you're going to wait a long time. Hope in God. You're hoping in your job to get better, you're going to wait a long time. You're hoping for this world to get better, you're going to wait a long time. Hope in God. Now, it doesn't mean we don't pray about those things. We certainly do. 
but we need a hope in God. And so then, we see this, even in 1 Timothy uh, 4, verse 10. We labor and strive, Paul says, he told Timothy, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially believers, 1 Timothy 4.10. And we know that we are those who are waiting for a living hope, right? We're looking for the blessed hope, Titus chapter 2, and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us. We've got to start hoping in the right thing. We've got to start getting our hope in the right thing because when we don't, we don't seem to do well in faith, as we're going to see. Because faith is the substance, the assurance of things hoped for. You are fully founded in that hope that God has promised, as we'll see, and in the God who promised it. You see, we should have a steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians 1.3 uh, Christ Jesus is our hope, First, First Timothy uh, 1 Timothy 1.1. Uh, it is Christ who is our hope, Romans 15. Romans 15. Hey, let's turn there. Let's turn to, turn to Romans 15. Let's look at verse 8. Romans 15, verse 8. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. And for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will give praise to thee among the Gentiles. I will sing to thy name. And again he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. And let the people, let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse. And he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. We hope in Jesus Christ. Now, if Christ is for this life only, you got a problem. If your Jesus is only to fix everything in this life, there's nothing wrong with praying about these things, but if that is the only thing, the only hope you have is that, then we are of all men to be pitied. Uh, our hope is in Christ because we have the forgiveness of sins and glory on the eternal horizon. And so we need to get our heads straight because we get our focus on the wrong things. And guess what? When that happens, we're not too happy. It's not very good. Our faith wanes, as we'll see, and thus endurance in that context. And we get tempted to, 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 to give up, tempted to, to throw in the towel temporarily, tempted to, to just uh, say, forget it, it's too much, whatever it might be. But God is good. He wants to encourage us. And so we need to remember our hope is fixed in Jesus and what he has promised. You know, he has promised future resurrection. He has promised uh, glorification. We see this. You know, we are, we've been born again to a living hope to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Christ in you, the hope of what? Glory. Glory. You know, First John chapter 3, beloved, verse 2, now we are children of God. It's not appeared yet what we will be. Hey, we, we're not even seeing the beginning of it yet, right? Uh, we know that when he appears, that speaking of Jesus, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Paul would say in Romans 15:4, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction that through perseverance and courage of the scriptures, we might have hope. We get into the word of God and we believe it, right? That's the core of where our hope is. That's the core of where our hope is. 
You see, apart from Christ and what he's done and what he promised he will do, uh, there is no true hope. Uh, Gentiles in the world without Christ, they have no hope and are without God in the world. Ephesians 2.12. But back in our passage, turn to Hebrews 11 again. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the assurance here. It is this hope spoken of that is in Christ and the things that he has promised to bring about, the consummation of our salvation and glorification and eternity with him. Our faith is the assurance, the assurance of things hoped for. We've got to remember that. We've got to remember that because when our faith is waning, we're not hoping. I'll tell you that right now. Faith is the substance, the assurance of things hoped for. We are absolutely certain. We are founded upon the reality of what Christ has said. We believe in the rock. We trust in him. Uh, Moses sang about him. The rock, his ways are perfect, right? We believe in him. We trust in him. We hope in God. We hope in God. So how are you doing? Is your faith waning? I would say your hope is maybe misguided. Your hope is focused on the wrong things. Get your hope in Jesus and what he's promised and stick on that. Everything else, let God work all that out. He's going to take it, whether it's good or bad. He's going to work it together for good. He promises that. But get your hope on Jesus Christ and on the things that he has said. If your faith is waning, get into the word of God and focus on Christ and your future hope. So that's the first half of the definition that the writer gives us here that helps us understand how we're going to endure. And what's the second half? Um, again, verse 1 of chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. We got that, right? Secondly, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is, secondly, the conviction of things not seen. The term conviction is a verb that literally means to bring to light. It speaks of exposing or setting forth. It's translated reproof in 2 Timothy 3.16. It's translated convict in John 16.8 concerning the Holy Spirit's reproof. It is the bringing to light. Uh, we see that here. It is the bringing to light. It is the validity or proof of something. It is the certainty. Certainty is the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, when we have a conviction about something, uh, we believe it's true, don't we? It, we have that conviction. We are standing out that that is true. We believe that. It's a conviction of things not seen or the certainty concerning the things that we do not see. Now here, it's important to understand these unseen things are the unseen realities revealed in Scripture. We're going to see that faith is fully tied to believing in the person of the Lord and what he has said. There's a lot of unseen things out there. I don't see what's in the other room. I could have faith or something over there. That's not biblical faith. It's faith in the unseen things that God has revealed to be true, being fully confident that they exist, being fully sure that what God has said is true. Now, again, pagan uh, understandings have infiltrated the church uh, where people say, basically, just believe it and it'll happen. And whatever it might be, that's not faith. That's not true faith. Faith does not create reality. Uh, faith is the assurance of the unseen realities that God has declared in his word. In his word. Take Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they stood before the enraged Nebuchadnezzar facing the burning, fiery furnace, because they would not worship the golden image. Remember uh, their response to Nebuchadnezzar. Turn it to Daniel 
chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. This is their response to Nebuchadnezzar. And notice, they're not, they're not uh, disrespectful. They're about to die, at least from Nebuchadnezzar's perspective, not from theirs, uh, going to fire your furnace. And they're not uh, disrespectful. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Daniel 3.16, Let you get there. Here the Bible's moving. Pages fluttering. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They trusted and they believed in God. They understood that. And we see that. The assurance of things unseen. Unseen. This is the mindset of a true believer. This is the mindset that we should have, that we should be focused on. Uh, 2 Corinthians. Turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is the mindset of faith, by the way. It's the mindset of faith. And when our faith is waning, so is endurance, by the way. And that's when we get discouraged, by the way. And that's dangerous. And God doesn't want us to go there. He wants us to be encouraged. Not to go to the discouragement route, to be encouraged, okay? Second Corinthians 4.13 But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us will raise us up also with Jesus and present us uh, with you. That's faith in the unseen. That's, he doesn't see that. It's just what God has revealed, right? For all things are for your sakes, that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Hey, we're suffering, but it's all for your sakes that you glory, glorify God. Isn't that great? Boy, if we just saw our lives this way, right? What a difference in our attitudes and actions, wouldn't it be? We've got to renew our hearts and minds. God is gracious. He wants us to. He's going to help us. And notice what he says here. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, that's in the context of suffering and almost dying, by the way. That's the real context there, okay? Not just old, old age. That happens too. But he says here, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Momentary light affliction in the balances. It's, it's heavy, but it's light compared to the eternal weight of glory. Got to see things right. Got to see things right. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. If you live by what you see and experience, you're in trouble. If you live by what happens to you, this happens to you, you flow that way. This happens to you, you flow that way. Rather than believing what God says. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It is the true mindset of a believer when he is trusting and walking with the Lord. He's trusting and walking with the Lord. So are you fully assured of what God has promised in Christ? Convinced? of those unseen realities, uh, convinced that is true faith. Biblical faith is the assurance of things hoped for the concerning Christ and what he's promised 
and in him, and it is also the certainty of those unseen things, those things that God has revealed in his word. But anything beyond that is not faith, at least biblical faith, at least biblical faith. So then are you fully assured of what God has promised? Are you convinced of the unseen realities? What you need to do is get into the word of God if you're not, because when we're not in the word of God, when, we're, when our minds are thinking of all the temporal stuff that's going on around us, rather than what God says, we're not going to trust him. We're not going to walk with him rightly. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. We need to get those truths in our head. Yes, there's something going bad at work, but God says you're serving him, not them. He's your master. He's going to reward you, right? Do your work hardly unto him. Yes, you have difficulties in relation, whatever it might be. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on understanding. Trust in him. He's faithful. He's going to work things together for good. Got to get his word in our hearts and focus on it, right? So then how can we endure? How can we endure? It is hard. The Lord knows it. It's difficult. Uh, as we're going to see ultimately in chapter 12, the only way to endure is to fix our eyes on Jesus. And we do that, and when we trust in him, we're in good shape. And we look at his endurance, that he made it. He's the pioneer. He is the, the, the forerunner. And, and we are trusting in him. He's the author and perfecter of faith. And we're even going to be encouraged, hey, all these people testifying, God testifying that they made it, a cloud of testifiers. And we're going to see some of that right now. So then here, how do we endure the trials of life? First, we need to understand what biblical faith is and just believe the Lord, right? But secondly, we need to remember, and I've, I've alluded to this the entire time, faith is founded in Christ uh, and on his word, on his word. Notice, now we get to verse 2. For by it, that's speaking of faith, the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what was seen was not made out of things which are visible. So here, we got a little little help here. A little help because someone might say, okay, faith, I've got faith in this and this and unseen things. Well, we're going to see that it has to do with what God has said. Notice here he says, by, for by it, that's faith, men of old gained approval. Now, the for speaks of uh, something to be explained or it's explaining or expanding upon what he was talking about. That was faith in the definition that he just gave. And he says, so for by this or faith, the men of old gained approval. Now, this term gained approval uh, is here, and it's sandwiched by this term in, in, in the examples of Abel and Enoch. We have it gained approval, then after Abel and Enoch gained approval. And then at the very end, verse 39, we have all these having gained approval. This is all about gaining approval. What does that mean? Through their faith. Through their faith. Well, this term translated gained approval in the NSB in verses 2 and 39 come from the Greek word matruao, which speaks of bearing witness or testifying. What it's saying is they obtained a testimony. They didn't testify, but they obtained a testimony. They were testified of. And in context, by their faith, God testified of them that they trusted him and that they endured. It's the, it's the so great of cloud of testifiers or those who are being testified by God for us to see that they trusted God and they endured to the end. They gained approval, uh, testified or obtained a testimony. Now, it's interesting. I prefer the New King James over the NASB in this part because it says obtained a good testimony. That, that's good. Remember I said so great a cloud of martyraos, testifiers, 
are those who have gained a testimony. So then, through faith, back in our verse, these men of old were testified of. They were testified of. God testified of them that their genuine faith in him and his word uh, through the, in the scriptures, and we benefit by that recorded testimony. God bears witness. So we have the definition of faith, and then we have God testifying of genuine examples of that faith. So we get to see it an example. So my question would be, does your life give testimony, give witness the true biblical faith. Now, we see all these guys. We can look at all these characters and even ladies here. They weren't perfect, but they trusted God. They believed God, and they trusted in him, and we see their testimonies. We see their testimonies. And now he's going to illustrate this to solidify two things. And I believe, first of all, these first two testimonies of Abel and Enoch, these two are unique because of the way they're positioned here in this list. They're unique because they are tied to the definition. They're unique because what I believe they show is how we come to faith in Jesus Christ and how we walk, as we're going to see. So then he says there, by faith, and before that, notice it's based on God's word. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that that which was seen was made out of things which are, so that that which was, that which is seen was not made out of things which are visible. So he's going to give a little definition, a little help here. By faith, we understand, which means you hearers, these Jews, right? You, those here, believers, we understand. We understand, we comprehend, we recognize continually, habitually, and that we still understand that. That what? Middle of verse 3. The worlds were prepared by the word of God. Here's an example, right? We understand by faith, the definition, verse 1, that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. By faith, we understand that, right? And the term worlds are the ages or the universe, all that was created. And the term prepared, katartidza, speaks of being fully equipped, fully outfitted. Uh, this whole universe was fully outfitted by the word of God. So he says here, fully outfitted, and it's a done deal. Uh, it's currently that way, perfect tense, and it is a done deal. We understand that. So he gives the illustration of biblical faith. So do you see it? God prepared it and created it by his word. That's by faith. The only way I can know that by faith is, is to know that he did it. Read Genesis 1. God spoke by his word, and the world came into existence. Light be, and there was light. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. And then look at the second half of this verse. So that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Okay. He's saying by faith, we understand that God spoke it into existence out of nothing. That's by faith. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The term create their bara is out of nothing. Ex nihilo, it's out of nothing. So by faith... I understand that God spoke the universe into existence out of nothing. And you say, well, wait a second. Everyone knows and can know, and even God expects them to know that he created everything. Psalm 19, Romans 1, it's evident to them. You could see the stars. God created the heavens and the earth. That's true. And people are responsible, for, and they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. But what he's saying here is that you can only know by faith that it was created by God speaking and, by out of, and he did it out of nothing. That is in the word of God. In the beginning, God created out of nothing the heavens 
and the earth. And it is by faith through what God has spoke that I understand that. I can see that. That's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is believing what God has said. So by faith, you and I, we know that God said light be and light was. You and I know that he created the entire universe and equipped it out of nothing. And we know that because we read Genesis 1-1, the first verse in the Bible. God created the heavens and the earth. You see, the point is faith is based on his revealed word. First illustration, based on his revealed word. It's not based on my feelings, not based on someone's opinion. It's based on what God has said. It's based on what he said. We saw this in Romans chapter 10 as we read this during our offertory time. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Romans 15, 4, for whatever was written in earlier, was written for our instruction that through perseverance and courage of the scriptures, we might have hope. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And they're written in the scriptures. Written in the scriptures. Biblical faith is not, I have faith that it won't rain tomorrow. It's not, I have faith that Susie will be healed. It's having faith in what God has said. Now concerning Susie healed, we know that God can do anything. I have faith that if he desires to do so, he could do so. He's all-powerful. But the reality is faith is in what God has said through his word alone, through what he has said in his word alone. Do you desire more faith? Do you desire to trust Christ more closely? There's no shortcut. Confess sin and get into the word of God. Start having your mind run his word through your head when you're confronted with difficulties rather than the difficulties. Start running his word through your head and the God will use that to, to increase your faith. So then, the baseline for every true believer's understanding of biblical faith is that it's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of not seen, things not seen, for by it men of old gained approval, for by faith we understand the worlds were prepared by the word of God, the word of God he spoke forth, so that what is seen was made, was not made out of things which are visible. And I alluded to this earlier, now he gives two unique examples. Uh, that see, that really point to how we are saved by faith and de- declared righteous and then how we walk by faith. And then he'll give a myriad of examples in the rest of the chapter. But these are two unique examples. And whenever you're studying the Word of God, you've got to ask the question, why does he give this example here and then this example here? Why does he do so? Let's take a look at verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony... That's, he was testified of. There's our Matarao, by the way. And remember, I told you these are unique because it talks about these testimonies here in these examples that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts and through faith that he is, though he is dead, uh, he still speaks. And then look a little farther down. Uh, verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God took up for he obtained the testimony or witness. These two specifically talk about the testimony. We have, first of all, men of old attained approval, verse 2. And then we have the end of the chapter, people gained approval. We have chapter 12, so great a cloud of those who gained approval from God or, or testified of. Then we have these two unique examples that he says specifically they gained testimony. They gained testimony. So then... What does this, what does this mean for us? Well, first of all, I believe this first example reveals how man comes to God. It is by faith. It is by faith, as we will see. 
Notice he says here, by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained a testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts and through faith that though he is dead, though he is dead, he still speaks. In Genesis chapter 4, we have the record of the first two sons of Adam and Eve. And uh, we have Cain and Abel. And it's from this account we see that both of them brought offerings to God. I'll read this here, Genesis 4. Actually, let's turn it, Genesis 4. Genesis 4, verse 1. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she uh, conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she says, said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And if you notice the term the help there is in italics. He says, with, with man-child, and it literally could say the man-child, the Lord. It's apparent that she thought that maybe that he was the seed that was going to bring salvation. That it, but yet she was soon to find out he was not. Right? And her, she named her next child, not Cain, but she named her next child, Vapor, Abel. Right? She recognized the, the vanity. Even though she did believe, we know that. And so we have her, help the Lord. And again, she gave birth to brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Very straightforward. And Abel, on his part, also brought of the first things of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. Now, if we had Genesis alone, we would be left to speculate uh, why Abel's offering was regarded and Cain's was not. We might say Abel's was because it was an animal the first thing. But we actually do not know from Genesis, but from our passage in Hebrews, it is clear why Abel and his offering were accepted and Cain's were rejected. Abel's was by faith, the very same faith that he spoke of earlier, by faith. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The same faith that men get approved. It's faith in God's word. You say, well, he didn't have God's word. Well, yes, he did. God was speaking to them directly. We see later on the Lord coming to Cain and saying, hey, if you master it, right? He's speaking. He had God's word. It's, they were, they, they, it's faith in this word in this context. So Abel was sacrificed was by faith. And he obtained God's testimony of him that he was righteous. It is by faith in the seed of Abraham, in in the one who would come to die for our sins, who is pictured in those sacrifices. So God evidently had told him what he needed to do. He believed by faith in those sacrifices. And I believe pointing to the seed of Abraham, uh, pointing for the seed of Eve, to thus the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ who would die for his sins and ours. By faith, by faith. And he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. He was testified by God. And notice it says, middle of four, God testifying about his gifts and that through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Uh, His gifts, his gifts were those of a sacrifice, we see, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. He was righteous because of his act of faith. It manifests that. We are justified through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have this in seed form, Abel exhibiting faith here through the sacrifice in which God prescribed. Now Cain obviously came forth and either did it his own way, but either way he didn't have faith. He didn't have faith. 
we'll see later on in, uh, well, actually I'll read it for you now, First John. And what was the reason that uh, Abel, Cain slayed Abel? Why did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Very clear. So then, our initial approach to God must be in faith in his prescribed sacrifice. In his prescribed sacrifice. Indeed, in Hebrews 10, uh, he would say, sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings, the sacrifices thou hast not desired. Hebrews 10.8, nor has taken pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, this is the Lord, this is the Lord Jesus, uh, God before he took in human flesh, God the Son. Behold, I've come to do thy will. And he takes away the first in order to establish the second. That's the old covenant for the new covenant. And every priest stands ministering and offering time after time, Hebrews 10, the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. But he, speaking of the Lord Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for the time onward when his enemies to be at a footstool at his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time, that's even back in Abel, those who are sanctified. Abel believed what God said, and he offered his sacrifice by faith, by faith. And so God testified of him, of his gifts, and through faith. Though he's dead, he still speaks. Yes, uh, his brother slayed him, but he still speaks. He speaks in the scriptures. Right here, God testifies of him, of him. And we see it in 1 John that his deeds were righteous and Cain's were evil, right? So then... Abel testified, was testified of his faith that he's righteous by God because he offered a better sacrifice, one according to faith, according to faith, which still speaks. So then how do we approach God? We approach him through faith in his, in his, in his sacrifice that he has given through his son Jesus. We believe that we need a savior. God has declared that. We believe that uh, he has Killed his, he has not killed, he has, he has allowed his son to be delivered up by the hands of ungodly men to die for our sins, and he rose from the dead, he bore our sins, and we believe in him. So have you approached God by faith alone, faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sins? Well, not only do we approach him by faith, when you were saved, you're saved by faith, the very same faith that we are to have each day. Believing what God said. We believed about salvation. We believed about his son Jesus. We believed we needed to be saved. We called upon him. We believed he would save us. But we also walk by faith. And this is the example of Enoch. He walked with the Lord. Look back in our passage. Verse 5. By faith. Same definition we saw earlier. Same definition. The assurance of things hoped for, the substance, or the, the conviction of things not seen, uh, these things that are revealed in God's word, right? Uh, concerning the Lord. So by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. He obtained the testimony. And we're going to see, how do you please God? You just believe what he said. All hell's breaking loose around you, and you believe God instead. All stuff's going on. You trust the Lord with all your heart. You, you focus on him. You believe no matter what you're experiencing or feeling that those things aren't true. Don't trust in man or mortal men who there's no, no, who there's no salvation. You trust in the Lord. You trust the Lord by faith. You walk by faith. You believe what he said. And so we see that here. Enoch walked with God. Look at Genesis chapter 5. Genesis 5, 21. 
It's interesting, Enoch, uh, he became the father of the oldest living man, right? Very interesting. Enoch lived 65 years, Genesis 5.21, and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. Evidently, raising Methuselah uh, helped him see his need to trust the Lord, right? He was 65, but at that point, he then walked with God, right? With God, 300 years after he became the father. That's a long time. Uh, None of us are that old, right? We never will be that old. But Methuselah walked with God. He's our example. And he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. And then we have in our passage, uh, he was not found because God took him. People are looking around, where's Enoch? Where'd he go? Where's Enoch? Where'd he go? He wasn't found. God took him. God took him, right? because he had obtained the testimony before being taken that he was pleasing to God. Do you want to please God? We walk by faith. We walk by faith. Believe what God says. All your feelings are saying this. All your, your tempted, Satan's tempting you to feel this way. Say no to that. Believe what God has said. You're a good God. You're going to work these things together for good. You're going to help me endure through this, Lord God. You're going to confirm, establish, stand as that, no matter how much we suffer, you're going to do that. You're never going to leave me nor forsake me. You're going to uh, guard my heart and mind if I pray rather than warn. You're going to do these things. I believe you, Lord God. And so Enoch, he walked. He obtained the testimony. Uh, Abel did, and now Enoch did. And this is in his walk. He walked with God. And how did he walk with God? By faith. By faith. The same faith we saw earlier, the same faith we're to walk with. It's by it's the full assurance of what God is what you hope for in the Lord in His Word, and it is the conviction of things unseen. Enoch was convicted and sure of the unseen things, and God took him. Right? Isn't that great? He was sure of it. Right? And he walked with God. Such a wonderful, wonderful passage, and we're to walk that way. Colossians chapter two. Uh, let's look at there. Colossians two as we kind of finish up here. Colossians two. Notice I said kind of finish up. We're not done yet, but we're getting closer. Colossians 2, verse 5. Paul says, uh, For even though I'm absent in body, nevertheless I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Jesus. Stability of your faith. And therefore, ha- and as, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus... So walk in him. How did we receive Christ Jesus? By faith. So walk in him. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Believe what God says and then act upon it. Believe what he said in every area. Trust him. He's worthy of your trust. He's worthy. And you're going to endure. You don't trust him. You're going to founder. You're going to flop all over the place. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live, I live now in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. It's by faith in Jesus. Again, whatever happens in your life, trust Jesus. Believe what he has said and act upon it. 
Don't let your feelings and your experiences and whatever happens around you move your heart away from believing what Jesus has said. And if you have, you need to confess it because it's sin and it's not pleasing to God. It is through faith that is pleasing to God. Notice verse 6. We know that Enoch, verse verse 5, he, he had a testimony that he was pleasing to God. He was testified. He was pleasing to God. Wow, that's this is the real deal. God's saying this. It's not Enoch saying it. It's not Enoch's wife saying it. It's God saying it, right? God is saying he's pleasing. And so as we finish, notice in verse 6, we have a summary now after those two examples of how we relate to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Verse 6, chapter 11. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. It is impossible to please God apart from biblical faith. The full assurance of things hoped for concerning Christ's word, the conviction and confidence of things unseen that he has revealed in his word concerning Christ and what he has promised. Apart from that, you can't please God, no matter what you do. You see, because God is pleased in his son. Remember when Jesus was baptized, Matthew 3, 7, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. We trust in Jesus. God is pleased. God is pleased. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. When you don't walk in the flesh, you're not pleasing God at all. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord no matter what happens. Trust the Lord. The only way to please him is to abide in Christ, to walk by faith. Apart from him, we can do nothing, John 15, 5. Concerning salvation, your work is not pleasing to God. It's an abomination. Only Christ's work is pleasing. Trust in him. During sanctification, the process of being made like Jesus, only the work of Christ in us is pleasing as we trust him through faith that pleases him. So without faith, it's impossible to please him. And notice there's an explanation for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's the reward of those who seek him. Two things. If you come to God, you must believe two things. First of all, that he is. You really, we, we don't believe it on a practical basis at times that he is who he really says he is. We, we, we don't trust him. If we really believe who he is, we're going to trust him, right? And you must do that, certainly when you come to him and also as we walk with him, that he is. That he is God. You believe what he has revealed about himself. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Uh, the word took on flesh and dwelt among us. That he is. He is. You've got to believe that. You've got to believe that. And that he is the rewarder. He's also a good God. He's a gracious God who judges. We need to, we understand that God will judge from, uh, he's going to judge the, our every deed. It's going to be judgment for those who reject Christ. But for us, he's the rewarder of those who seek him. He's going to reward you. Trust him. Seek him. Walk with him. You're going to be eternally rewarded. Rather than yielding to your flesh, trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. There's great reward that he is the one who rewards those who draw near or seek him, draw near to him. Now, just really briefly talk a little bit about rewards, and then we'll finish up here. God's a good God. He's fair and just. He's generous. And his word declares that he will reward his servants. Those who, in con the context, trust him and obey him and walk with him. There are future rewards that are not of this world. The one who comes to him must believe he is, and that he's a reward of those who seek him. Moses endured suffering rather than the passing pleasures of sin because he was looking forward to the reward. 
uh, Hebrews 11:24. Hey, Moses could have had a temporary reward. He could have had all the treasures of Egypt. He could have had all that stuff. You see those shows on National Geographic, all the wealth and stuff. He could have had everything he wanted. He chose to endure ill treatment. Choose to endure it now. Endure it for the reward in the Lord. We see when we obey his word, there's great reward. You know that? When you obey his word? When you don't worry and you trust the Lord and pray instead, when you don't get angry, but you you give it over to the Lord, you cast your cares upon him, whatever it might be, there's reward. Speaking of the law, Psalm 19.1, Moreover, by them the servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Proverbs 13.13, 13, The one who despises the word will be in debt to it, but the one who fears the commandment will be rewarded. You know, God says, don't do that, don't do it, right? Trust the Lord, right? Proverbs 11:18. the wicked earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness gains, it gets a true reward. We know that those who suffer for doing what is right, trusting Christ, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. Matthew chapter 5. We know that we will all stand before the Bema seat, 2 Corinthians, uh, to receive uh, rewards or not for those things done in the body. We know that. We know that. We know that uh, everything that we have done, uh, if it's not built on his word, not built on him, 1 Corinthians 3, we're, we're not going to receive uh, anything reward or not. Paul says, now he who plants and he who waters are one, 1 Corinthians 3, but each will receive his own reward. He talks about in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 3, if any man's work which he has built upon it, speaking of the rock, Christ being the cornerstone, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss. When you do your work, do it heartily unto the Lord, right? Colossians 3, and not unto men, because knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the reward of inheritance, right? You know it's from, you're going to receive that. And we know that these rewards will come to us when Jesus comes to get us, right? We know that the Lord will come with his might, his ruling arm. Behold, his reward is with him. He will recompense every man according to his deeds when he comes. He says in Revelation 22:12, Behold, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he's done. If you reject Christ, reward is eternal punishment. You trust the Lord and obey him. There's great reward when you believe and trust in him. Nothing's insignificant, brothers and sisters. When you choose to obey the Lord instead, there is great reward. When you do and serve him uh, and suffer for it, there's great reward. For God is not so unjust to forget your work and your love for which you have shown towards his name in having ministered and still ministering to the saints. There's great reward. There's great reward. So then, how can we endure the trials of life? Hey, we are all in need of endurance. If you say you're not, you're fooling yourself. We're in need of endurance. And God brings that endurance through faith in Jesus Christ. Trust him. Trust him. Trust the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. And we need this reminder. We need this encouragement. Lord, help us to remember now, not just here. Help us not to be forgetful hearers. Uh, We need to walk out of here and remember to trust you, to walk with you, to the examples that uh, faith is uh, is the assurance of these things hoped for, things of you, and the sure surety, the conviction of things unseen. Lord, please help us.
to trust you in every situation, in every way. Thank you, Lord. Praise in your precious name. Amen.